It's not uncommon to see Massachusetts residents in shorts and t-shirts as soon as temperatures get above 50 degrees. But I'm at this park in Chelsea and it's close to 60 and I'm the only one here. So I'm sitting on a bench at Port Park. Lots of industry all around, but somehow it's still really peaceful on this bench all by myself. Going outside is one of the only safe things we have left to do while COVID-19 still spreads through communities. But that's if you're in the right community. Access to outdoor spaces is not equal. Nature is still out of reach for low-income communities and communities of color. Chelsea was one of those communities. It still kind of is. John Walke is the Waterfront Initiative Coordinator for Green Roots, an organization working toward environmental justice in Chelsea and East Boston. Both East Boston and Chelsea are communities that have traditionally had a very large immigrant population. Uh, so there's always been uh, low-income folks, the people who are sort of the most marginalized living in these areas. Chelsea is dense and industrial, Walkie says. You can see it in the landscape, oil terminals, the airport, the salt pile next to the park I visited. Green spaces are few and far between. The Center for American Progress studied this phenomenon last summer. They call it the nature gap. And it's big. Communities of color are three times more likely to live in nature-deprived areas than their white counterparts. It's, not, it's a statistic that can't be explained away just by luck or random chance. Um, and we also found that low-income communities were about 20% more likely to live in nature-deprived areas. That's Jenny Rowland, a senior policy analyst for the Center for American Progress. She co-authored the Nature Gap study. Nature deprivation, she says, just means that a neighborhood or community has fewer parks, streams, or other natural spaces than other areas nearby. An absence of green space usually means politicians drew a red line around certain neighborhoods decades ago. Now, many of those same communities are red hot. The average temperatures in formerly redlined neighborhoods are higher than in neighboring wealthier communities, in some cases by as much as 20 degrees Fahrenheit. Again, Rowland. But the stark disparities are the result of systemic inequalities and environmental racism, um, including practices like redlining or prioritizing parks in white neighborhoods, the siting of factories and energy projects in communities of color. Chelsea is considered one of the most heat-vulnerable municipalities in Massachusetts. Parks aren't going to solve the climate crisis, but they do have measurable impacts on community health. Walkie says. The role of green spaces and trees and whatnot are all pretty important to, to filtering the air and improving uh, that aspect of people's health. I spent almost an hour at Port Park. Port stands for Publicly Organized Recreation Territory. Technically different from a park, Walkie said, but functionally the same. It's surrounded by industry, but it's also a celebration of the industry that shapes Chelsea. Metal geodesic domes frame green grass amphitheaters. I walk up a metal lookout that was once a truckloading rack for oil pipe deliveries. Nature and industry coexist here. I'm looking out at what I guess is Chelsea Creek. To my left is a dock, um, and then to my right is like a huge mountain of road salt right next to this park. 
This is one of two projects Walkie points to as examples of reintroducing nature to Chelsea. The other is Mill Creek. Green Roots continually works on restoring the wetlands at Mill Creek, but they've also worked on improving the walkway. After almost an hour alone at port, I head there. Still no people, still just me. From the parking lot of Home Depot, you wouldn't expect to find nature thriving here, but thrive it does. Mill Creek is a vibrant wetland. There's a small park along the way, complete with fake rock features and real hedges. We're in between a highway and a Home Depot, and nature perseveres. There are a couple of drawbacks. For one, Walkie says, maintenance costs time and money. With all these things, you set up a park, you set up some sort of public resource, and there is this sort of follow-up in addition to just maintenance, but programming and you know, just trying to figure out the proper way to get people engaged with the space. How to get people engaged with the space. I crossed paths with only one other person, a jogger. I did not try to catch him. Access to nature is just the first step. Another key finding in the nature gap is that not everyone experiences nature equally. Shauna Edberg is a co-author of the study and director of conservation programs for the Hispanic Access Foundation. So we have to remember that a lot of nature and park space in the U.S. is policed space. So if you're a person of color in these areas, like you may well not be feeling safe because there's no accountability um, in the police or criminal justice system in this country. So it, it's conservation and nature is also tied together to these human systems that we put in place. The solution, Edberg says, is to consult the communities being affected. Make sure they have power in the decisions that affect them. I take Stara Drive to get home and drive along the Esplanade. It is bustling. This looks like the spring Boston evening that I was expecting. People are on their bikes. People are running. People are walking their dogs. And plenty of people are just sitting in the grass on the abundant green space next to the Charles River because it exists, and they can. For WTBU, I'm Shannon Sollett.